Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Subtang, but please call me Swin. I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Okay, Will Summer, on this podcast, we spend a good amount of time covering things like the Ohio Senate Republican race. It's truly one of the most, shall we say, fascinating primaries in the country. I'm not sure if we talk about the one that's happening in the Georgia Senate race. Catch me up on that. Sure. So in Georgia, this is for the seat currently held by Democrat Raphael Warnock. The Trump-backed and Trump-approved candidate in this primary is a guy named Herschel Walker, a former football star who, let's just say, sort of continuously running into some trouble, and, and he had some big trouble this week. Okay, so what's he up to? Because if I recall correctly, he gets in trouble at least every couple of weeks or so. Like, he is one of those candidates where the quote-unquote Republican establishment has repeatedly said, obviously, frequently anonymously through the press, that they wish Donald Trump didn't like this guy so much because he has way too many liabilities in their eyes to be their candidate in this race and therefore could possibly hinder or blow their chances at retaking the Senate next year. Sure. I mean, like, for example, just looking at sort of negative Herschel Walker stories, here's a headline on one report. Herschel Walker threatened shootout with police. So, I mean, this is not typically by the standards of the Senate. I think it's been a while since anyone really got in a standoff with cops. I know it's useless to play this game, but imagine if that were a black Democrat in Georgia who <laughs> said, <laughs> Probably not go great. I guess on the plus side, the, the latest story about Herschel Walker is not about having a standoff with police, but still not great news. CNN's K-File team discovered that Herschel Walker has really been exaggerating his academic record. He had this claim he was repeating a lot, claiming he was in the top 1% of his class at the University of Georgia, and that he graduated in that position. But as it turns out, that is not the case. Herschel, in fact, he did not graduate. He did not even graduate for it because he left to play pro football. But point being, this is one of these things where it initially was him saying he kind of got caught out on it and he said oh people have been saying that about me i don't know why people are saying that <laughs> and then they dig a little deeper and they say well it's because you've been saying that you know? maybe that's one of the reasons donald trump likes him so much this is a purely almost to the letter this is exactly something donald trump would do in this exact position and just to give our listeners a little window into how much donald trump really likes this candidate. We reported here at the Daily Beast a few months ago that he would call senators and then put them on conference call with Herschel Walker, who was somewhere else in the country, to like pressure the senators. Oh, you got to help me convince Herschel Walker to run here. He's on the line with you right now. And this is Herschel Walker before 
Walker had decided even to declare officially. And back when a bunch of Republican senators and Republican honchos had been repeatedly saying in private, please don't force Herschel Walker on us. (laughs) (laughs) And correct me if I'm wrong, Swin, but... Didn't Herschel Walker just for a while not even live in Georgia? I believe that was one of his 8 million Herschel-sized controversies that bubbled out over the past, (laughs) I don't know, six months, eight months. It's just unending, and some of them are more graphic and unpleasant than others. We don't have time to go through all of them right now. Yeah, I mean, certainly in the kind of the Hall of Fame issues with this guy, exaggerating his academic record is not one of the major ones. Additionally, his campaign claimed that he was the valedictorian at his high school and the high school, that was just not true. I mean, a lot of these, like Herschel claimed his uncle worked at Nintendo and he had the new Mario game. These are just kind of classic lies. He's the football guy. Why does he need to lie about his academic record? I think it's a good point. So basically, this is kind of shaping up to be the hits keep coming here for Herschel. And so I have a solution. I think this candidate is too damaged. I think it's time for Republicans to look a little further down the Walker line and choose Christian Walker, Herschel Walker's TikTok troll son. He is so cool. (laughs) Christian Walker is the man. You're absolutely right. He needs to be groomed for some sort of Senate run. I shouldn't have used the word groomed. We're going to get a little bit into that more later in the pod. But Will, Continue. So Christian Walker is this guy. He has a very sort of aggressive pro-Trump conservative TikTok persona where he says voting for Biden, that's a flop and stuff like that. This kind of very Gen Z attitude. And, you know, he's a student at UCLA. He gets in these sort of disputes with his liberal colleagues at UCLA where he'll get text messages people sent that said, uh, Christian Walker's in my class. And then he says, what is UCLA administration going to do about this? And it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't imagine there's much they can do about it. Stop the judges! the performative activism and the thinking you're some great person because you reposted something about Ukraine in your Instagram story and you went and you attacked someone online. Who the hell are you to be the arbiter of morality and truth and how someone handles this crazy crap going on in the world? Some people make a joke. They like to get a laugh. That doesn't mean they think the situation is funny. That's how they handle crazy crap. Some people get It's off the so lame. Not- like all this stuff he puts on TikTok and other avenues of social media like it's if you took a dan crenshaw tweet and then lobotomized it further it's so freaking lame <laughs> but, but get some talking and i think that's what's important i feel like herschel walker maybe does not quite have his finger on the pulse of these culture war issues i feel like he's been missing a lot of potential things to jump in on but christian walker certainly knows what's up so he's probably a little too young to run for the senate but maybe we can bend the rules there a bit but will the important question is is christian walker truthing Is he? (laughs) So by that, you mean, is he posting on Trump's social network, Truth Social? Correct. Correct. The totally real and totally up and running and not dilapidated attempt at a social media empire that Donald Trump has tried to erect. Yes, that thing where if you log on to it, posting on it is called truthing and doing a (laughs) retweet equivalent on Truth Social is called retruthing. I'm not making this up. (laughs) Retruthing. And truthing. Have you been truthing, Will? What I think is notable about that is that I did not know that. I think a lot of people did not know that ridiculous detail. And that's a sign of how poorly this operation is going, is that like we all, oh, Parler, all this talk about Parler, all these kind of like bomb social media networks. But this one is doing so poorly that no one even knows how dumb it is. (laughs) So Swin, tell me, what's going on with True Social? Okay, this may break some of our listeners' hearts, but a lot of them who are aware of this thing are... Uh, probably know that things have sucked for a while. Like downloads are really down. 
numbers have plummeted, and this is less than two months after its official launch, the quote-unquote soft launch of the thing. Well, would it surprise you, Will, to learn that things now are even worse than they were a month ago? And that's according not just to news of top staffers ditching the company and reportedly wanting nothing to do with it, again, less than two months after the thing launched. It's not just according to our reporting about Trump privately screaming about the app's botched rollout. That's according to the raw numbers, the data. And I do not think these numbers are lying, to be honest with you. So what kind of numbers are we talking about? Okay, well, just to give you a bird's eye view of the thing, this app is currently at a level where it's plummeted to the 26th most popular social media platform in Apple's App Store, lagging behind the likes of social media networks as Wiz, Be Real, and Bloomer Random Video Chat. The three things I just read to you, again, are not made up. They are actual obscure social media networks that are right now rinsing Truth Social. (laughs) I mean, it's really incredible. So just to back it up a little bit. So this was supposed to be Trump's Twitter killer, at least Twitter competitor. Notably, it's run by Devin Nunes, the former congressman and sort of oaf about town, town being D.C. What's funny to me about, I mean, Truth Social, as you said, I mean, it's not just kind of struggling. It's not just doing great. I mean, it is collapsing. And so as a member, I say I have kind of conflict of interest here because I'm on the wait list to get into Truth Social. So I'm kind of like, guys, you got to get these. How long have you been on the wait list? I was actually a little slow to sign up. So it's maybe been about a month. It's been a month. It's been a fucking month and you haven't gotten in. You might think this is kind of odd. You don't hear about a lot of other social media networks having wait lists when they're already public. Like, so I'm like number one million or something. <laughs> It sort of suggests that things are not going great. It just really is this thing has just appeared and gone. And I think one interesting thing is the Washington Post had a story saying that, number one, obviously, Trump hasn't really joined this thing. He's posting like... He's posted like once, maybe. It very much, quote, like he's posted, right? Because it says like, hello, friends, it's me, Donald Trump. I'll soon be joining you on this great platform. And that's it. Meanwhile, I remember when Getter, Jason Miller, Trump associate Jason Miller launched Getter last year. And then we all kind of thought that was going to be the Trump sanction one. And then Trump didn't do that. And we thought, oh, Getter's dead in the water. They're screwed. But now Trump is reportedly talking about joining Getter. He's going to ditch his own operation for Getter, (laughs) which is not exactly blowing up either. He founded Truth Social. Like, it's not something he kind of agreed to. His name is on the fucking thing. This thing was launched with a good amount of political name ID and celebrity, a lot of money behind it, and also a good amount of actual infrastructure. Like it partnered with Rumble to actually get up and running. Rumble obviously being the Canadian kind of right wing YouTube backed by Peter Thiel. Right, right. That thing. So I mean, I get it. Trump, in many respects, if you've looked at his business and political career, it's hard to not come away with the perspective that he is a scam artist, that he's a grifter, that he engages in these ventures and get rich quick schemes and then quickly loses interest in a lot of them. Even with that being your baseline, I was actually legitimately stunned that this collapsed as quickly as it did. Maybe it gets rebuilt again in some form, but as of right now, like it is impossible to not look at this and say it's not imploding. 
it's not great. I mean, you're also getting these things like a classic thing with these pro-Trump social media networks is they're like, this is the no censorship social media network. And then instantly they realize why they have to moderate content because otherwise it's just going to be crazy. And so you've got Roger Stone now claiming he's being censored on Truth Social. He's probably doing some work where he's allied with another one of these networks or he's got some scheme going on. But I mean, it's just really, really not going well. So Swin, I mean, in your reporting, why hasn't Trump joined this thing already? I mean, the funniest explanation for that is when we asked someone who had spoken to Trump about his social media company in the past few weeks, this person simply replied, quote, he wants it to be a hit first, as in he wants it to be a hot property before he sees himself more often publicly associating with the thing, which I mean, well, you and I have never tried to to found a company of this size. Or any company, period. I mean, to be clear. <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> maybe. Shark Tank. I mean. But my impression is when you found something, you kind of have to put your name and your muscle behind it to try to make it popular, even if you're the former leader of the free world. Right. I mean, this is why what, he has to move. Exactly. Like if, if you if you said, OK, this is going to be the only place for Trump posts, it would happen. I mean, I think this is sort of like, you know, you're at the pregame, you're texting, you're thinking about going to this party. You're saying, well, well, who's there? Is anyone cool there? I don't really want to, like, make the scene. So in this way. But, you know, it's the social media network that's really going down the tubes. No one's truthing. And I think that's the problem. I just want to really talk about the data again that shows you how dire things are. Download data shared by the analytics firm. Aptopia shows that downloads of True Social have plummeted from a peak of 170,000 downloads a day to Will. I'm going to have you guess what it is now. Like 40,000? Guess again. 10,000. 8K. 8,000. Not good. Not good. You want to see those numbers go in the other direction. Things are going pretty grim on True Social. I think the upside is this is like maybe an opportunity. If you want to be sort of a micro-influencer, it seems like the market on True Social is pretty wide. If you get in there, you kind of corner some good truths. I think it's open for some people to really start posting up on there. So are you talking in code to me right now that this should be our next big Fever Dreams back adventure? <laughs> Fever Dreams, True Social account. Let's make it happen. Elon Musk is taking over Twitter. Maybe we can do the same with True Social. We can take over True Social. <laughs> okay, moving on. Will, have you been tracking what's been going on in the universe of the Disney pedophiles? Do I have that right? Is that the narrative that is being pushed by the right right now? Uh, this is Disney's new controversial IP. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what you're referring to here is this new backlash to the Florida, the don't say gay bill. Disney sort of, after much nudging from its employees, waded in and was like, I don't know about this. Just very lightly. This unleashed over the past week a real uh, wave from our conservative pundits. Basically, not just saying like, Disney, we have different political goals than Disney. Oh, why are they? Why do they not like my bill? But basically, like, Disney is a organized pedophile movement grooming children. I was doing what I thought was kind of like a hack, hysterically hyperbolic rendering of what mainstream organs of the Republican Party and modern American conservatism are saying about Disney right now. You were saying that I actually kind of had it right on the money. Yeah, I mean, the word groomer is getting thrown around a lot. Like, the Disney is including, like, a same-sex kiss in the back of Wreck-It Ralph 3 as some kind of, like, gay plot. So there's been this big backlash, this idea... Well, excuse me, I say big backlash. It's kind of being cooked up by a handful of these accounts. And also the most powerful elected official in Florida. 
right now. <laughs> right, right. Ron DeSantis. These are also a lot of the people who are involved in the critical race theory in setting this up. Christopher Rufo, who is a big anti-critical race theory guy, is now saying, well, we're really like branding Disney as this vile, this sort of groomer-adjacent corporation. I'm seeing a lot of people saying, okay, groomer, play on last year, two years ago's okay, boomer. But I mean, this is kind of this larger attempt to really like roll back the clock on the right on gay rights, LGBTQ rights, that really we're just seeing over the past couple months like really ramp up that suddenly this idea like gay marriage is legal folks i like the idea that like like a teacher acknowledging that they're in a gay marriage or that they're married to someone of the same sex that this is equivalent to grooming a child i mean it just feels like like stuff from like 70 years ago or something so i guess maybe i'm jumping ahead here but i think that's kind of the larger thing to be looking at here is this this real kind of like rapid turn i think we're seeing on the right against what we thought were pretty established rights right like before we get back into the specifics of what's actually going on the ground here i think it's important just to say up front as you started to do there that in a weird way this is showing you what the republican party and conservative movement's next move is to essentially end their somewhat tactical retreat in recent years ever since the supreme court ruling on gay marriage came down you had donald trump at the 2016 republican convention saying one or one and a half nice things about gay people or gay Republicans and saying something nice about the arena full of conservatives clapping for something about gay people. You had Republican politicians basically stop talking about gay people and gay marriage and mostly training their sites on trans individuals, which, of course, for them is also code for gay pedophiles or whatever. But this is another piece of evidence that shows that Republicans, and particularly the power centers of modern American conservatism, haven't really moved on from hating gay people. They just sort of saw that for a while, it suddenly in the polls became less politically beneficial to them. But as with all things after with social projects, the eventual reaction obviously eventually comes. And you're starting to see this right now in one of the dumbest forms possible when it comes to them trying to mix in their pro-don't-say-gay bill stuff with their anti-woke corporatism stuff. Right. I mean, you're hitting on something there with the woke capital is this concept of here's kind of my point of view on it. I mean, I think these corporations like, look, Disney does not really like want to be getting in a fight with people who are going to say they're pedophiles or whatever. It's not that these corporations are taking such brave stands. I think often it's that the right has just gone has moved so far right over the past five years or so that suddenly you have these situations where when the right kind of pushes a corporation to make a decision, they say, well, geez, okay, I guess we're not going to go with the don't say gay bill. And then suddenly the backlash is from the right pretty crazy. And so it's funny this when we start talking about like Disney World and Disney in particular, we're getting into like a lot of like old panics of various kinds like there's this whole thing where it's like the hidden messages in old disney films did the palace and the little mermaid there's this tower made to look like a penis <laughs> in the lion king does a cloud of dust spell out the word sex right these sound like old panics right but they're digging them up again it was so funny in high school before high school i remember being a kid and us being like i don't know like school chums huddled around the old slow internet like figuring out about this stuff. And it was a joke. It was like a grade school joke that is now being elevated again to buttress the right's latest culture war front. 
Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. I mean, this column I was reading was essentially arguing that, like, Disney's been in the groomer game for a while. Like, we all remember this scene from The Lion King. I mean, all this kind of, like, apocryphal stuff that I guess what's interesting about it is this stuff it sort of never really goes away. And, and you know, it's funny. You know, people are saying, oh, this is QAnon stuff. I mean, I think for me, this kind of came up at the Katanji Brown-Jackson hearing as well. This idea that, I mean, in this hearing, they're not saying, like, Judge Jackson, when will you release the 260,000 sealed indictments? When will you send Tom Hanks to Guantanamo Bay? It's not quite as, like, direct Q- QAnon, as I think a lot of people have been saying, but also I think these attacks would not be happening without QAnon because I think it has helped to sort of mainstream the idea of just calling your political opponent, if you're on the right, just calling them a pedophile and being like, well, I don't really like the stuff you're doing. You're probably part of this global network of pedophile. I mean, I guess that's basically what they're saying. I mean, like right now I'm looking at Christopher Rufo's Twitter here, and this is a guy who is kind of at the forefront of the Disney pedophile or the Disney is a pedophile cabal corp movement. This guy is basically just going back like decades and just finding random Disney employees who have been arrested on sex crime charges. I mean, it's an enormous corporation. I mean, Disney em- employs a lot of people there are bound to be some people get in trouble with the law there and so he's implying that disney is a sort of a shocking number of its employees have been arrested for sex crimes the company has a dark side basically is sort of the critical race theory thing being ginned up again so this is kind of i hate to say it this is kind of the future i think for a while of culture war stuff is saying you don't like my attempt to reverse gay marriage or what have you well sounds like you're a pedophile right i mean this stuff is being parroted by prominent republican elected officials It's there in the conservative grassroots. It's all over conservative media, including but certainly not limited to Fox News. And just to underscore how obviously hollow and bad faith a lot of this stuff is, I'm going to read one headline from earlier this month about Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is from Business Insider. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene owns stock in Walt Disney, which she says is, quote, pro-child predator. It's really remarkable stuff. I mean, there's another, I mean, if you want to talk about stock conflict or stock intrigues, Rupert Murdoch is believed to have billions of dollars worth of Disney stock after selling 20th Century Fox to them. And meanwhile, Fox News is really like, okay, I guess the new thing is that Disney, they're a pedophile cabal. There's obviously a lot going on here. But I guess what was also interesting to me was when I was like, all right, what's the deal? Why are they mad at Disney? And then it was sort of like, well, Disney was sort of like dragged kicking and screaming into taking this mild stance against Ron DeSantis. the most tepid thing about this bill in florida the 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 most tepid stand possible it's not like they're marching in the streets over it or anything it's a corporation what they do like put out an anodyne statement that when i first read it i didn't even know what they were talking about (laughs) yeah totally so this is also coming as a lot of people on the right are getting into kids content we talked about children's books this sort of expanded universe of like morality island or whatever that thing was called and so a dennis prager talk radio host with prager you he now is getting a kids app we know ben shapiro's company is supposedly spending i think a hundred million dollars building out kids content so in the same way that the children's books were a response to this kind of crt panic and it was like don't give your kid anti-racist baby you got to give him pizzagate jack posobics pro racist baby <laughs> pro racist baby yeah i think there's definitely a market section these guys are seeing i mean i don't think these people are going to really convince all that many people to stop watching the avengers or whatever but it's certainly if you're a conservative pundit i think it is to your advantage to suggest to parents that kind of the main purveyors of children's content can't be trusted and that they instead have to watch dennis miller read children's books or what have you on prager you <laughs> Okay, moving on, because I cannot talk about Disney allegedly grooming small children for a second longer 
Will, who's our guest on tap for this week? So to intro today's guest, Swin, let me just take you back in time to 2004, Houston, Texas. A teenage Will, a young Republican, is listening to his, of course, to talk radio. And we had a lot of the kind of the classics. We had Rush Limbaugh, whatever. But then my town got kind of a shock jock guy who was like a conservative Howard Stern, a guy named Chris Baker. And I would just listen to this guy. He would have Larry the Cable Guy on before he was famous. I was just really like, this guy was really like shaken up the talk radio scene in the town to the point that my mom was like, stop listening to that damn show. I was like a pretty rebellious teen with my talk radio. So he was local, not national. Well, yes, he was local at the time, yeah. And so he was kind of this Chris Baker guy. He was allied with uh, some kind of a larger guy named Man Cow. And so he would have Larry the Cable Guy on. Was that his birth name? (laughs) This is sort of the world of the conservative shock jock has always been a fascinating one to me. In Chris Baker's case, he was eventually kicked out of the industry last year for posting a very racist meme about the Derek Chauvin trial. But Man Cow is still at it. And he's kind of a type of character in talk radio that isn't much discussed, which is kind of like the edgy Maxim magazine talk radio host. So this week, to discuss this kind of trope and, and one that was very influential, certainly in my upbringing, we've got Brian Quinby. He's a, AKA Murder Brian. He's uh, one half of the Street Fight podcast, and he is sort of an expert on shock jocks and man cow. Brian does a series called Shocktober every year where he runs down shock jocks and sort of talks about their role in American culture. So I wanted him to talk about this kind of very niche kind of shock jock with a focus on man cow. I think it should be an interesting episode. Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, today on Fever Dreams, we're joined by Brian Quinby, one half of the Street Fight podcast. Brian is an expert on, among other things, shock jocks. So I wanted to have him on to talk about the universe of the conservative shock jock, as typified by Man Cow Muller. Brian has a series on shock jocks, including Man Cow, called Shocktober, which is available at streetfightradio.com. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I mean, like, most of my guest spots have to do with what I call my guys. And Man Cow <laughs> is certainly my guy. Like, he's one of my top guys, actually. So I love talking about the guy. He's something else. So set up for the listeners who may not be familiar with Man Cow. Who is this guy and what is 
so interesting about him that makes him one of your guys. So three in 2018, me and Felix Biederman from Chapo Trap House were talking about doing a podcast series about shock jocks because, I mean, we've been talking on the internet for a very long time. Like we both, since we both had like 30 followers and what we talked about a lot was like Opie and Anthony and Howard Stern because we were like big fans of these guys back in the day in the 2000s. So when we made the decision to do the series, we had to pad out the series with more shock jocks. So Man Cow is one of the biggest ones, but only in Chicago. He never really made it out of Chicago, but in Chicago, he beat Howard Stern. He beat Opie and Anthony. He was this huge shock jock. So I was like, we'll do Man Cow. We'll do it last because it's <laughs> kind of boring. Nobody really cares about Man Cow. And then as I started listening to Man Cow, I was like, this guy is not like he's crazy. He is, of all the guys, the most delusional of the guys and probably only really second most conservative compared to like Anthony Cumia, who is, I mean, very well known as like a nasty conservative like racist. They're both kind of racist and conservative in the same place. But I think Anthony's compound media is maybe a little bit bigger than like Mancow's audience of like a thousand at this point. <laughs> but he never again, when he was in Chicago, he had very high ratings. Like it was like everybody in the key demo, which is 18 to 40, whatever men were listening to man cow back then. He was very famous. Just now he's not because our guess has always been that they had him on Fox news in the morning. They kind of simulcast a little section of his show on Fox and friends in the morning for a small period of time in like 2005, 2006. And he saw that you could go the conservative political route. And there's money there. Because there are way fewer people trying to do it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Back then, especially, there just wasn't anybody. And there wasn't really anybody doing sort of conservative comedy. Now, I wouldn't consider what Mancow does as being funny or comedy. <laughs> but, like, that's what he's saying it is. And resistance liberals had Robert Mueller as an idol for a while. The right has Mancow Mueller. I gotta say, this is the more interesting Mueller to me, by far. Like, way more charismatic. <laughs> put together. He has a coherent ideology, I think. Somewhat. I mean, it's weird. The weird thing about him is, is that like he does hang around with Alex Jones. I think he is as extremely weird as like Alex Jones. I think he basically believes a lot of the Alex Jones stuff, but he's also like very Christian. So there's these two like weird sides where like he's trying, I think a lot of his new stuff is trying to make up for the bad stuff he did in the past without saying, I did a bunch of bad stuff in the past. So he's out there saying, oh, I'm going to run for governor. He thinks he's going to run for governor. And I'm sure he's going to run for governor, but I don't think anybody's going to pay attention to it or care. But like, I think he's one of the guys, there's like kind of two ways that shock jocks go as they age. They either want to rewrite their history. That's like Howard Stern, right? It's like his archive is extremely hard to find. He is very militant about pulling his archive off of the internet so that you kind of can't hear the things he used to say in the past because he's more of a resistance liberal type guy now and he, he runs in those circles. Or you'd go the man cow route where you're not trying to hide anything, but you're saying all that stuff I did was bad and now everything I do is right which alienates the fans that you had before too, which is, I don't know which way is better, but in the end, it alienates a lot of people. 
So this is a guy who starts out as sort of a kind of an itinerant shock jock. As you mentioned, he sets up shop in Chicago, has a feud with Howard Stern. And so what does Mancow, I mean, I guess if you could typify, what is the average show like? I'm thinking of when he, he sort of, people may remember him as getting waterboarded. If you could set up how that happened. Mancow, there's a lot of water here. All right. Now, here's, here's the thing. How long is the average person, can they take this? About 14 seconds. 14 seconds? That's the average. 14 seconds done properly, yeah. Now we've got to get your face covered here, all right? Here we go. We're going to get it nice and wet. He's dunking the, uh, the cloth in a bucket of water now. Yeah. Okay. Get ready to put it over your face, okay? Okay. All right, it's going over Mancow's face. Can you cover face. my mouth, too? No, we want to see you scream. We want to see you scream, all right. We're going to do it on five, okay? Okay. One, two, I lied. Ooh. Oh, water's right. All right, that's it. That's it. All right. Oh, oh God. Man cow is soaked. Oh. Man cow is soaked. We all got a little water on him. How you doing, buddy? Oh. All right. Oh, Jesus. Uh, you're soaked, man. How do you feel? You it's, want the EMT? No, no, no. The EMT's here. No, no, it's okay. It is. Mr. Brett. I'm fine. It is way worse than I thought it would be. And I, it is way worse than I thought it would be. Would and that's no joke. Would you consider that torture? Look, all that's been done to this country, and I heard about water being dropped on someone's face, and I never considered torture. Even when I was laying there, I thought, this is going to be no big deal. I go swimming. It's going to be like being in the tub. It is such an odd feeling to have water poured down your nose and your mouth with your head back. It was instantaneous. I, I thought I could hold out 30 seconds, 60 seconds. It was instantaneous. And and uh, I don't want to say this. I do not want to say this. Absolutely torture. That's real funny because so basically a man cow show is whatever he wants to talk about. It's really hard to explain how one of these days, instead of just posting a show of me and Felix and Chris making fun of man cow, I have wanted to post a whole man cow show into my feed because it's very hard to explain what his show is it changes by the second it's just whatever pops in this guy's head he he says out loud so you can't really be sure what's going to happen and i guess during the torture memo stuff he was saying waterboarding how is that bad that's not bad i can go underwater whatever he's bragging about it so he brought in a weird guy that said he was in the military and had done waterboarding and he had him waterboard him but the guy didn't do it right but man cow <laughs> sat up in like one second and was like okay okay never mind it's torture it's torture <laughs> and then he got to go on msnbc and talk about how it's torture because these guys really like to go on tv anytime they can get to be on the news it doesn't matter if it's fox news msnbc cnn they'll have them anytime a shock jock gets in trouble you'll see the grease man show up on one of these shows and man cow's another one of those guys if you'll remember anytime opie and anthony got in trouble if you look at the archives of fox news and cnn you'll find a man cow interview where he tried to start a i don't know if your listeners will remember this but a woman died in a radio contest called a we for a we where you're supposed to hold your pee in you drink water and whoever held their pee in for the longest won and they won a Nintendo Wii and a woman ended up dying from it. 
So this happened at the same time Opie and Anthony had been getting in trouble for one of the things they got in trouble for. I can't remember what it is. So Man Cow decided to start an organization called People for Responsible Broadcasting. <laughs> the good guy shock jock. Yes. Yeah. Now he's the good guy. He thinks these shock jocks are all going too far now. So he goes on and he talks about how we want to make a document so that people know what's over the line and what isn't. So he's just a guy that likes to be on TV. Too. He loves attention and he loves telling people how many famous people people he knows who are the famous people he knows well william shatner okay that's a big one i watched just a few clips of him and he mentioned that a couple times chris farley but he does not respect him (laughs) it's not like chris farley can refute anything he says about him at this point well he claims that him and Chris Farley were really good friends and he had been telling him to quit doing cocaine. And Mancow does this thing where he says that he was the last person that talked to somebody before they died. (laughs) You have to be kidding. I can name three people right off the top of my head. Herve Villachez, Chris Farley, and Brandon Lee. He was the last person to talk to all three of those people before they died, he says. I was really hoping that Malcolm X would have been like one of the <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's probably more that I'm forgetting, but those three are the craziest ones. And the Hervé Villachez one you can find online. He said it in a print interview. He's like, Hervé Villachez called me and then for advice, and then he died. And I'm just like, it's it's unbelievable. The Brandon Lee one was good, too, because he says that Brandon Lee called him on the phone from the set and he told him, don't do this, man. There's something <laughs> wrong with this. And then he died. And the man cow feels bad about it for his whole life. So that's another fun thing that he just likes to say he's the last person to talk to somebody when they died. And he says that about Chris Farley. And he says he asked him to quit doing cocaine. And obviously, Chris Farley didn't quit doing cocaine. So now Man Cow's like, he's not somebody to look up to. He wouldn't quit doing cocaine. What I'm hearing is Man Cow is admitting that he's not a persuasive talker, essentially. No. So I'm looking at a screenshot here that Will sent me. So I was kind of trying to just get a sort of a flavor for the podcast team here on like Man Cow's deal. And so now he's wearing, like, I was looking at his Twitter account and his video is entitled here, Kyle Rittenhouse, a good guy. And he's wearing this kind of like almost like a old timey like boatsman's jacket with all these like stripes on it. So, Brian, if you could walk us through here. So Man Cow decides to become sort of a conservative shock jock. Is that his way to sort of differentiate himself from the rest of the field? I mean, this kind of strikes me as like the classic like sort of comedian gets canceled or has a falling out and then kind of returned as a Republican. Yeah, I mean, he had been headed in that direction anyway. He was always pretty Christian, weirdly, even when he was a guy, when he was like a famous shock jock, he was pretty Christian. He brags about how he's never taken a Lord's name in vain or anything like that. So there was that little hint of conservatism with him. But he's always been kind of conservative. The first time he got in trouble was, this is such a long time ago. It's such an old thing. But Bill Clinton got a haircut on an airplane. I guess, in the 90s when he was president. And it backed up flights at the airport and flights were late for the day and it was a big problem. So Mankow is starting out in San Francisco. He sends his guy, not turd yet, he sends his stunt guy out to get his haircut on a busy bridge in San Francisco and he backs up traffic for hours, ends up getting fired and ends up getting sued and thinks that that is the liberals coming to get him. 
So he started as pretty conservative, but all these guys kind of are conservative because part of your gimmick when you're a shock jock is you do talk about politics. So he was always pretty conservative, but he was like, the kind of conservative where he doesn't bring it up all the time. And he's mostly talking about Playboy bunnies and stuff like that. Now he is full on just a conservative guy. He comes on and like every one of his shows, Man Cow's Monday Night Live is conservative talk now. I mean, he says he got pulled off of terrestrial radio because the Chinese communists couldn't control what he said. Those are literally his words, not my words. But he said the Chinese communists couldn't control what he said, so they fired him. And that is how he got to where he is now, where he's talking to about a thousand people about mainly coronavirus stuff like conspiracies. One thing that I think is interesting about Man Cow is that this is a guy who, at least until a few years ago, was sort of like Fox News adjacent. I mean, he made like appearances on the O'Reilly Factor. I'm looking here. It looks like he had a special called Planet Man Cow, a journey to a parallel universe he likes to call Planet Man Cow with features such as see the interview that got Man Cow thrown off the set of Boston Legal. What? He was on Boston Legal? Well, I think he was conducting an interview with William Shatner, and he was banished from the set of Boston Legal. And and this also, I don't know, this was posted in 2015, so I think even then, pretty old news there. But nevertheless, he sort of seems to have played this role, kind of like a Greg Gutfeldian role, of kind of like a Fox News bad boy, or kind of like a hipper-than-your-average Fox News character. I think he's more Steven Crowder than Greg Gutfeld. That's a good comparison. What do you think of that, Brian? I think Steven Crowder's probably funnier than Man Cow. (laughs) I gotta tell you, Man Cow has never said something that made me... (laughs) laugh legitimately ever one time and the amount of hours of man cow i've listened to you would think there would be at least one or two things where it's like because you know i listened to opie and anthony i listened to howard stern i listened to bubba the love sponge like i listened to hour after hour after hour of shock jocks when i'm setting up to do a new season of shocktober and all of them will say something that kind of will make me laugh every once in a while never happened with man cow it's the joy in man cow is playing the clips for chris and felix and us goofing on the clips rather than like actually listening to it as tough i mean if people want to hear the comedic side of man cow go to youtube and type man cow phone scams and that's where he does his prank calls and stuff like that and they're some of the worst prank calls i've ever heard <laughs> Like, and I've heard a lot of prank calls, too. They're so bad. That's where the famous line, like, he's very lazy about writing them because it's illegal to do actual prank calls now. You have to get permission from the person on the other side. So what radio hosts do is they hire a company that is the other side of the prank call to do it. And one of the first things we found is how lazy he is. He did a phone call to a pharmacist where he said he had diarrhea and goes on for like two minutes. And when they answer the phone, they say, this is pharmacist, which is like, (laughs) why not name the pharmacy or give the pharmacist a name just to help us get into it? wanted to have you on here because I think Man Cow is such a specific kind of kind of conservative media personality. But even beyond that, I mean, this is a guy, you know, sometimes there's these folks out there, you look at their Wikipedia page, and it's just like each detail is like your eyes are bugging out. Like, how can one man live this life? So there's this whole thing, you know, I think you mentioned it, where Man Cow becomes a born-again Christian, and he falls in with this pastor who he's talking all the time about, oh, Pastor McDonald is this really, like, he's, you know, he's brought me back from the edge. Pastor McDonald's this great man. But then Man Cow has a falling out with him. 
and he claims the pastor, and this sort of seems to have been at least somewhat substantiated. This is not a completely fake allegation, seemingly, that the pastor asked Mancow to like hire him a hitman. Yeah, but I mean, Mancow brags a lot about knowing bikers and stuff like that. So you can see why somebody would ask him to hire a hitman. I think one of the first things we ever really laughed at with this guy was him talking about how he was putting on a cheap trick concert in Illinois and the Hells Angels and the Mongols were fighting over whose territory the Man Cow concert was. And Man Cow said, you guys, you need to get along and just come here all together. And that's how he like solved the problem of a biker war. So I can see where if you're somebody that needs to get somebody killed, he'd probably be the guy you go to, I guess. I was reading up on the Man Cow's involvement in this alleged murder for hire plot. And it's Mueller said he and Man Cow initially thought McDonald was joking. But during conversation Mulder said it became clear to him that the pastor was really serious <laughs> golly what a life to live yeah i mean i wouldn't believe it if the pastor didn't go to jail i think if the pastor didn't go to jail i absolutely wouldn't believe that this happened if this was all coming from man cow i wouldn't believe it but since it made the news i believe it now because man cow is the biggest liar ever <laughs> it's like when jack berkman was actually shot Mm -hmm. The Jacob Wall associate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And it's like, he's just doing this for attention. It, no, it was an actual thing with an actual bullet. <laughs> yeah, you just don't know. You can never tell with him because, I mean, he's told lies that like range from again. He's told some crazy lies in the past where like he went to a Hollywood party during Comic Con and it was a Satanist party and a demon was dressed like Jessica Alba and she was trying to seduce him so <laughs> that he could come and join the devil's side. Like he's told stories like that. So you're like, anytime he tells a story, you're like, I don't know. I think he might be lying here. And I think he lies a lot. So it wasn't quite QAnon, but it can kind of be slotted into the broader narrative of QAnon that he was trying to spin there. This is such a hard thing to say because I hate to say it because I know your listeners are going to be like, oh, I don't know about that. I think Mancow's too stupid to be QAnon, too. Like, I think that, like, you got to be pretty stupid to be QAnon, but I kind of don't think he understands QAnon either. Like, where he's like, it would be too confusing for him. There's a lot of lore to keep up with. Yes. Yeah, right, right. Like, you have to keep a narrative going to actually be fully invested in it. Yeah, because I'll hear him say things that sort of QAnon people say, but then he never says Q and he never brings that stuff up. It seems like he's on the periphery of it. And I just, I see him as a guy that wouldn't understand it anyway. Right. So what, if anything, do you think Mancow broadly tells us about the state of the right or cultural conservatism as we know it today? And also, I think this is, kind of a related question for you, but why do you think he hasn't been able to break in as much as other so-called conservative comedians have in recent years? And yes, I am accounting for how you were just telling us how he's lazy and you think he's too stupid to believe in QAnon or be a QAnon person, but that hasn't stopped a lot of his peers or people who are more than his peers. He is rich. I think that's one side <laughs> you have to look at where, like, he made a ton of money as a shock jock. I think what he tells me is that, like, 
these guys, some of these guys, they do it for political reasons. I think Man Cow is a different kind of breed that does it for attention. I think a lot of these DJs that I get into and start to look at and who have gone right wing see it as a cynical play to get because we're all trying to get fans that are very into what we do. Like we want to super serve the people that are into what we do. And the right conservative people seem to be able to do that. I got a father-in-law who is super conservative, broke as hell, and will buy everything, buys anything anybody's selling that's one of these conservative people. And I think Mancow sees that. I don't know if he has any true beliefs other than like, I want fans And I like famous people. And there's also like an ecosystem of famous people around him too, like William Shatner and one of the Go-Go's and like people he considers fame. And I think it's really weird to say this, but I think it's a tension for a lot of these types. There's, I think, a certain type of person who became a DJ in the 90s and he's that type of person and he sees himself as wanting to be on top. And his way to get to the top is through conservative politics. And that's what he's pushing for. So, Brian, on to another topic. You mentioned QAnon. I feel like you have a story to tell about a a QAnon wrestling referee who's caused a stir. Yeah, a couple months ago. So there's a guy named Drake Wirtz, W-E-U-R-T-Z. He was a referee in the developmental part of WWE. It's called NXT, where they sign people like football players and even independent wrestlers and stuff and they train them so that they can be on the big show on tv drake younger was a deathmatch wrestler in combat zone wrestling a long time ago death matches are very violent wrestling matches where you hit each other with light tubes and tacks and people have hit each other with sawzalls and fucking weed whackers and stuff like that they just <laughs> it is like really bloody crazy wrestling. He got hired by WWE. They didn't really need him to wrestle, so he became a referee. He started a Christian group back in the locker room that got a lot of the guys involved. I think he started it as a way to build kind of solidarity with some of the guys, maybe try to get them to be Christian with him. And then he got very much into the child trafficking stuff, right? Like specifically Operation Underground Railroad. We talked about them on the podcast, yes. Yeah, he got very, very into that. So during the pandemic time, Drake had been had been having these meetings. He'd been screaming about vaccines and coronavirus and how bad it is and stuff like this. And the thing about WWE is like you would think wrestling is is this place where these kind of beliefs can happen, like where they where they grow and stuff like that. But like, it's a corporation, so they have to follow the rules. It's a publicly traded company. They have to do masks and empty arena shows and stuff like that. And it really made him mad. And he was always screaming about it and showing up at school board meetings and shit like that. He basically, he starts this group and he starts auctioning off gear, wrestling gear from other wrestlers. Like guys are donating their gear and stuff like that to him. And he's auctioning off for anti-child trafficking stuff. And they're all cool with it because wrestlers are generally pretty dumb and they want to save the children, which is totally fine. Then he starts 
asking them for money, what they believe to be loans, so that he can get started running for school board or office or something down in Florida. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll, get, we'll toss you some money. We'll give you a loan. And then, like, a month ago, it started the FEC filings and stuff like that started to come out. And a bunch of wrestlers that were in NXT were on the donation sheets for him running for office for his QAnon thing. And they all had to say, I didn't know I was donating to him. <laughs> Either they didn't think it was going to become public or they didn't know that they were. It leaned more to me. It sounded more like they didn't know they were donating to a political campaign. <laughs> they had to come out and say, I'm not a QAnon guy. Yes. Several, <laughs> several guys had to come out and say, I'm not a QAnon guy. Because the weird thing about pro wrestling fandom is pretty liberal, like leftist audience for it. So he had been fired a long time ago for throwing a tantrum about vaccines or something. And now he's running for office. I don't know exactly what he's doing now, but yeah, he is definitely running for office now. He also, in 2020, he used his WWE corporate email to coordinate activities for Operation Underground Railroad. So there is that. And here's another thing he did that was big. He stormed out of a 2020 NXT takeover in your house event after Triple H said that people of all religions were welcome in WWE. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Well, Brian, thank you so much. These are updates from two just fascinating worlds. Again, that's Brian from the Street Fight podcast. You can check that out wherever fine podcasts are available. If you're interested in more of his thoughts on Man Cow and other Shock Jocks, episodes from the Shocktober series are available at streetfightradio.com. And Brian is on Twitter at Murder x brian brian thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you for having me it was fun i love talking about my guys (laughs) (laughs) for this installment of our beloved recurring segment fresh hell we want to take you inside america's grandest of grand juries will summer Tell us more about these grand juries that you've been tracking, and also, can you explain to me whether or not they're real or fake? Sure. So here's what's going on. So this is a new quasi-legal, quasi-entertainment product that is being that a couple, a former member of the Trump administration and some kind of conservative fame balls have cooked up. It's called America's Grand Jury. Have you always wanted to sit on a grand jury? Have you always wanted to be the guy who hands down bill of indictments or whatever? Well, here's your chance, sort of. So this is all led by the former Indiana State Attorney General, a guy named Curtis Hill. He's, I think it's pretty reasonable to say he's disgraced. He had his law license suspended while he was attorney general over some Me Too allegations that he, I believe, groped some women at some government functions. So this is the guy now who has cooked up this idea of America's grand jury. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to consider whether to indict such villains as Anthony Fauci, Hunter Mm -hmm. Biden, Mm-hmm. and Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Fauci, Fauci is the first one coming up. So they're going to impanel a, quote, grand jury, and then the grand jury is going to hear presentations from people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., famous anti-vaccine guy, this former Trump HHS official, science advisor named Paul Alexander, who is kind of involved in these various schemes to make the Trump administration look better in their response to COVID. And just to be clear, not by preventing more people from dying. It was <laughs> trying to base, essentially suppress the bad PR that they were getting because so many people were dying needlessly during that part of the Trump administration. That was his gig. 
essentially. Right, exactly. And the other thing I just want to note briefly about our sort of lead prosecutor here, Curtis Hill, the attorney general, he's also an Elvis impersonator. So we have kind of an interesting kind of motley crew here. So what they're doing is, so in this case, they're going to consider the evidence, should we indict Fauci? Now, they have no power to indict Fauci, but here's how you get to be a grand juror. You might say, this sounds like fun. Okay, for 25 bucks... (laughs) You can be a grand juror and you can participate in the polling. They're going to have like kind of a chat room where you can say, indict him, hang him, whatever. Hang him. Really? It gets to summary execution? Well, I mean, you can kind of say whatever you want in the chat, I'd imagine. I see. That's not an option, I think. And so for $50, you can participate in the chat room. For $100, you're a super juror. For $250, you're a super juror plus and you get a t-shirt. And then (laughs) for... 2500 bucks. you're a VIP super juror. And not only do you get to participate in the grand jury, can you basically write on a sheet of paper, indict Fauci, but you also get to see it in person. You get to see this bizarre kind of fake court happen. So here's the deal. So America's grand jury, basically, this seems to be like just a really brilliant grift here because they're saying like, oh, aren't you mad at Fauci? Well, maybe we should indict him. And then they kind of say on their website, in about size 11 font, they say America's grand jury is a mock grand jury investigation closely simulating what an actual jury might conclude okay but then up top they're like stop in big font they're like bring fauci and his bandits to justice (laughs) so there's kind of this implication that this is a real grand jury obviously it's not but i mean i gotta say for 2500 bucks this is like probably gonna be a pretty good show because it goes on for several days there's gonna be i think it's in nashville i mean i guess what's weird to me is like this is sort of it's almost like a live streaming or show or a rally but then also with this kind of very malevolent intent to sort of a more malevolent intent than normally kind of a far-right rally these days because there's this implication that we have to really bring this person to justice. I guess it's like when they would burn like a straw effigy of someone, kind of like that. This stuff is so quintessentially MAGA-brained because it's trying to reverse engineer, okay, something that could make us money by appealing to conservative grassroots and Trump fans. Why don't we try to sell jury duty to them. The thing that famously (laughs) virtually every American in real life would try to get out of. (laughs) But what they're actually doing here, the term jury or grand jury aside, is they're not really trying to sell them on fake jury duty. Without saying it, they are trying to sell them on being a part of a fake show trial, like the scene from The Dark Knight Rises, when the scarecrow is presiding over... Exactly. We got Robert F. Kennedy Jr. We have the scarecrow. <laughs> right, exactly. To be like, okay, you're guilty. Send them out to die on like an ice float or something. Like, that's what they're selling. They are trying to sell basically summary judgments on whether or not Dr. Fauci or Hillary Clinton should be sent to a rendition site in Yemen, except the people presiding over that would be like Diamond and Silk, would be the judges (laughs) making the decision. That's exactly right. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing, right? I mean, I think it's about catharsis in a weird way. But I also like the idea that the people who are paying even as little as 50 bucks to hang out in the jury chat and, and decide whether to indict Fauci, that there's any question that they will indict Fauci? Like, do you think there's any Fauci super fans who are going to be like, I don't think they should indict Fauci. I got to get in on this. <laughs> We're a big country. Please tell me there's at least two people who might fall for that. 
So to close this out, I think it is ominous. I think that conservative pundits now feel that they can sort of monetize this sort of free-floating rage at at people like Fauci and just sort of give people a chance to, even if theoretically, sort of put Fauci in his place and indict him. There's a pretty ugly history of these amateur grand juries. They're really popular with sovereign citizens who are folks who sort of exist in their own legal worlds where they try to indict county sheriffs or officials they don't like and then carry out justice against them, this kind of vigilante justice. In that way, I think it's a pretty ugly thing. But at the same time, it is very odd how, as you said, they've sort of turned, it's like you're buying like an all-inclusive package at a casino or something. And instead, it's going to sit in a grand jury for a while. Right. At least with real jury duty, you get 20 bucks from the state for lunch. Here you have to pay like, I don't know, like two months rent or something like that. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.